Welcome to Hot Plate, a post-foodie podcast. I'm your host, Mirella Amato. Today on Hot Plate, institutional food, boring bars, oyster pails, and burger obsessions. Hello, Joshna. Hello, Mirella. How are you? I am good, but we need to talk about you right now because it's been oh, an exciting nice. week. Thanks, thanks. Uh, biggest news is that my book was released this week. It launched last Tuesday. Uh, finally, this thing is out. Much anticipated. I mean, that's a nice thing to say, much anticipated. Uh, but man, you know you know what it's like when you pour yeah. yourself into a thing and then it just lives in your heart and in your life. And then all of a sudden, people are posting Instagram photos of them with their copy that they ordered independently of me, right? It is... Uh, it's amazing, actually, to see it out there in the world is amazing. And even just that feeling of holding your book in your Ooh. hands, I, I still remember that moment. It's hard to believe. After all like, that work. Wow, it's all, yeah, right? I really, I mean, I always respected people's uh, writing and the craft of writing, but now that I have such intimate knowledge of what it takes to put those words on the page, mm-hmm. uh, it is like, there's a, I, I keep on saying there's a raggedy piece of my soul between those two covers. Uh, but I think that like, hopefully that's what will make it compelling. For sure. Uh, well, I've uh, read it and right. enjoyed it. It was uh, particularly interesting for me to learn about your whole career trajectory. Yeah, that's true. Huh? Funny to read about somebody you know like that. Yeah, yeah. that's funny. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, your voice came through loud and clear, which is Wonderful. always delightful Thanks. and, uh, learn some interesting things. So, uh, yeah. if it's okay with you, I put together a few questions. I love it. I'm so, su- I super am into this. Yes. Give it nice. to me. Let's do it. So you transitioned from, you know, like a chef who works in restaurants to being this activist chef in this activist chef yep. role that you occupy now a while ago. What would you say is the main difference between the two for you? Oh, that's a great question. I think uh, definitely one of the maybe, I don't know, might be liabilities of this, uh, of my my chef activist role mm-hmm. has been that it really separates me from any sort of frontline restaurant life. Right. right. I, I spin in a different axe, you know, a different orbit a little bit than the rest of my chef colleagues who are in restaurants. But you're still very uh, engaged with chefs. Yeah, very From what much. I've seen. Yeah, a hundred percent. And the community is still really strong. Mm-hmm. I will tell you that now it is it is a relatively seamless thing. Mm-hmm. But all along the way, I have I've spent a lot of time like hanging out by myself, uh, you know, yeah. both ideologically and even sometimes physically in the space. Right. Because people understand chefs with restaurants. And I showed up as a chef with no restaurant and that just didn't make sense. And plus, you know that the conversation about the stop is is really layered. Mm-hmm. So I can't just say I do this. I'm like, you have to take a seat. I have to give you this whole long song and dance about community food security. And yes, this is a space that chefs don't ordinarily occupy. Like, right? It becomes cumbersome. That's Whereas uh, I'm delighted that enough time has passed and people are like, ah, she does this. And so it is my, my experience of it is more seamless now than it has been. Let's say that. That's really interesting because it's in direct parallel to my experience. Oh, really? Because when I came oh, into beer, I, you know, I wasn't a journalist and I wasn't a right. brew, brewmaster, which were sort right. of the two categories. And right. And the same right. as you, it's I'm I'm still struggling 
to put it in totally. one sentence. Always. What I, you know, the, they say, you know, the elevator pitch, you should be oh able God, to just really quickly hard. explain what you do. Uh, so that's, oh, uh, interesting, yeah, but it makes it sense. A, yeah, it's wonderful. It's great. And truthfully, a lot of this exists only here in Toronto where it's my people who know me, right? Anytime right. I'm, I'm outside, the yep. whole big mouthful starts all over again, right? <laughs> uh, but here it's like, no, no, it's Joshna. She, yeah, she does yeah. this. <laughs> we get it. We, we know her, yeah. Yes. So the one thing I would th- say that struck me the most about your book uh, is how you talk about the positive impacts that introducing uh, cooking from scratch and functioning kitchens into places like hospitals, um, how the different ways that impacts people in those institutions beyond just the obvious, which is that it's giving more nutritional value, but just was hoping you could elaborate on that. Well, uh, absolutely. It's uh, it, to me, that was like the biggest bulb flash bulb that went off. Right. When I was like, this has so much, this is so much more than just what is on those plates. Right. And the benefit of food is so much more than just the physical material stuff that's on that plate. Uh, And that uh, I mean, it's incredibly sad when you see how reduced. Right. You see Mm -hmm. this sort of like the reasonable facsimile of regenerated food. Right. By the reheated or boiled or steamed from a frozen origin. Uh, There's nothing there Uh, and it is completely empty. Um, But that is just lets us know how much, uh, I mean, really how devalued the food has really become, right? And we have cut away, in my opinion, some of the most vital pieces, namely the most important of which I think is human connection. Yeah, and not only devalued, it's almost abstracted because, you know, you talk about people reacting to the smell in your kitchens and just the smell getting people uh, excited and getting people Mm -hmm. hungry. Totally. Which, you know, eating is to, an to, issue in, in these and, places. And to whet an appetite, for sure. Uh, it really is. And, and it just, it lets you connect to how separate, like from all the other ways that we engage with food, mm-hmm. it is so weird that our in, the institutional way that we engage with food is this really disconnected, uh, very unhumane kind of, you know, it's unhumane in that it doesn't feel like right and human <laughs> right yeah. it's like some other thing that's it's, happening it's, to me really it's an abstraction yes it's, it's a great it's way to say it, it is. uh and i also loved what, when you mentioned that that um when people have a good food experience in hospitals they rate the entire hospital better mm-hmm. that completely resonated with me you know in terms of you know anything that's one of my friend's experiences, be it, you know, a trip or a wedding or my first question is always, how was the food? How, of course. So I'm, I'm guessing that's going to be one of your secret weapons in this crusade. It, re- it really that's something is. they'll pay attention to, right? This is exactly it, right? This is exactly it. It, we, we, food has the power to blanket, you know, on an entire, to influence sort of the, you know, an entire experience. When I think about weddings all the time, all I think about is the food. Yeah. I can't tell you what beautiful <laughs> thing anybody wore, but I can definitely tell you that that chicken tikka was fantastic. Right? <laughs> right? Nice. Or that I went back for more of something else. Um, the other thing that I think is really important is to think about um, the other side of the tray, as it would be, and the experience of the, the cooks mm-hmm. and the people in those kitchens, Right. They like what is I kept on the thing that really struck me over and over again. And I think I say this in the book. What is it like to do your job for 20 plus years knowing that you're not actually being effective? Yeah. Right. Knowing that you're working 
you're doing a good day's work and you're getting paid a living wage and there's all and, that beautiful And you're doing security. the best that you can under the circumstances. Yes. Right. right? They, in fact, God bless them. They continue to find ways to make it work with less and less and less resources. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, they all I could see it in their faces, Mirella. Right. They knew that what they were putting on those trays was not what those people in the beds upstairs needed to eat. Yeah. Right. And and because they'd been there so long, they knew exactly what those trays were going to look like when they came back down. Which right? is that's not I would eaten. anxiously await nothing. Yeah. Just really. Right. And then you think about all the effort that went into getting it up there with the intention of nur 324 beds in yeah. that particular hospital. Right. Uh, and it just it really hit me in my stomach uh, because then important to note, everything that comes back on that tray goes right to landfill. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, because of infection control yeah, and all that of that sense. right to landfill. And so I just was like, this is the most giant exercise in waste. Uh, and nobody is benefiting except for the people who just think life exists on a spreadsheet. Speaking of uh, waste and other horrible things, yes. I, was, I was actually shocked to read in mm. your, your book that the global food system accounts for about like a quarter of yeah. greenhouse gas emissions. How is that possible? Well, I, the, this is like the big, the, the, the secret, I guess, that we're not connecting to yeah. is that we, we eye the transportation industry, right? We're always like, it's the burning, the fossil fuels, the transportation. But what we're not connecting to is that we're the transportation of food, mm -hmm. right? That transportation is about moving food all over. And that is where, I mean, that is sort of the big chunk of emissions is from, is from trucking and shipping and boating food all over the world because we want everything all the time. And then there's the other piece, which is about uh, uh, clearing land and monoculture farming, you know, and that sort of that sort of industrial imposition on the land. Those are huge And the machines. destruction that that causes. And the, the resulting oh, and the destruction, right? All the, everything, the resulting destruction. But we don't, because we don't consider food that way. Like, you know what I mean? We have the, we, technology, Energy, da, 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 da. but we there's nobody really is like thinking to an arc of food and what the impact of the way we eat is actually on this planet. That's yeah, that's really interesting, and particularly it struck me because I'm taking a course on fashion and design right now, and in awesome. the fashion industry, this has become a huge yes, I've issue. learned this. Everyone's yes. talking about it, uh, mostly because of that horrible incident in that factory. Yes. In Bangladesh, I just started right. thinking, you know, like what kind of disaster has to happen for us to start having this conversation about food? Maybe COVID mm -hmm. will do it. I don't know. Yep, we talked about like that in the away, Zuno's but episode, but yep. um, I, I was just shocked to read about it's that. It's really, um, it's really, it's something that we're not paying enough attention to. And uh, my first hospital project was 2011. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you between then and now when I was writing this book, the the legitimacy and urgency of the argument around climate change has like shot to the top of the list. Right. There's been an, a pre, like previously in 2011, I was defending hospital food by being like, OK, it could be better. You know, we, it's, we are spending money, but it could be you no know, patient experience. And then it would be like, oh, yeah. And this is really bad for the environment. So you're saying it's shot to the top of the list for you. If for me yeah. and for how I'm understanding the world, it, yes. Because it certainly doesn't seem to have shot to the top of the no, list. No, not for it. No, not at all. Which is upsetting. Not at all. It feels to me like a much stronger argument, so I boost it 
closer to the front as opposed to the, oh, yeah, and yeah. it's also, you know? It's certainly a trendy argument. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So in your work, you talk a lot about supporting small and sustainable farming practices. And I yep. was a curious because, you know, I feel like these industrial farming practices came about for a reason. Yep. And I'm just wondering, do you think that a return to traditional farming is sustainable? Is like, is there going to be enough food for everyone? I guess mm-hmm. is my question. Yeah, I get this question a lot. And the answer is yes, because here's the trade-off, right? What we may get with, with, with hectares of single crops and that massive production, we are losing in biodiversity and soil quality, mm. right? Those are the, that's what we're paying for the ability to, to grow thousands of acres of the same crop because the land is not happy with us when we do that sort of thing, right? Um, and that's what large-scale farming row is really about, never mind the corporate structures and all of that. Yeah. But the other piece, when you actually consider a, a more like organic and biodynamic approach to farming, the, the, uh, the, um, the volume, the yield per square acre meter, mm-hmm. however you want to understand it, is actually much higher than the square yardage of right. a monoculture farm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it may you may not be able to produce such varieties, but it you can in fact grow plenty of food, but you need this really interconnected web of of idea, you know, the, the, that that ideological approach. You cannot just plant rows and rows and rows of carrots. Right? If you plant diversely with this sort of network of plants that help each other grow and regulate the nitrate and all those beautiful things, there is more than enough uh, capacity for us to grow, right? It's commodifying food that really forces us into this wild practice. So it sounds like we might also have to adapt a bit how we eat. Definitely. A major shift. Well, that's encouraging to hear. Yeah, we're not going to run out of food. And as I think I say in the book, uh, the day that we have a scenario where there are more, there's more demand for local, you know, small farm raised food, I will sing from the rooftops in celebration. That'll be the best problem for us to have. So on that note, uh, for for me and for those who are listening in, mm-hmm. you know, what is one small change that each of us could make to move forward towards a more sustainable environment? Just consider investing a little bit more of your own time and money uh, on your food. I understand not everybody may have that resource and you've got to work within the means that are, you know, with you, uh, that are available to you. But a lot of the problems that we're seeing with the, you know, the lack of sustainability is because we don't want to invest ourselves, our time, uh, our money and our effort into our relationship with food. So maybe it is you think more thoughtfully about where you're getting your food from and you take the time to go to a market or a co-op or, you know, make those connections or you take time to cook. Just consider some way to spend more of yourself, to offer more of yourself some way. Right. Is it baking things for neighbors? What you know, whatever beautiful thing you want to do, just engage more because what we're learning, right, and what so much of this current state is teaching us is that small grassroots networks of people who care about each other are the way forward. Like, that is what sustainability is about, right? And that requires us all to be more invested. Joshna, do you remember Wayne Reeves from our No Good Times in Toronto episode where we talked oh, about I do. Yes. history of beer? The beer history. Yes, yes, yes. So he just sent me a link 
to the guidelines that Ireland has set up there. You know, they have put out their plan for reopening Mm -hmm. uh, after the isolation. And one of their plans is to reopen pubs. Right. And (laughs) the reason he sent it to me is that the new measures that will be in place in Ireland are actually very similar to post-prohibition measures in Ontario. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, tell me more about that. I know we're we're gonna get to the piece, but I don't know what the parallel between prohibition era stuff and this and the spatial relationship. What's right. To, what's that so about? you'll remember that after prohibition, people were very very concerned about reintroducing alcohol. So there were right. rules in pubs where you had to stay seated. Someone had okay. to bring you your drink. Got it. Um, there was no music allowed. Right. You were somehow just like really serious about your imbibing. You're basically being punished for drinking, right? And you're going to drink like in detention or something. Yeah. 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 Right. So, so of course, these new new measures include things like, you know, people will have to sanitize their hands when they come in, the wait staff has to wash their hands, that kind of thing. But, but this is where the similarities start. So there, there's no, there will be no standing or ordering at the bar. Right. So the bar will be just for the wait staff to pick up orders. Uh, the tables have to be very far apart from each other. And there's a maximum of six people per table. And you have to stay seated. Right. And no live music or DJs. I oh, know. It's uh, I, I have my first question was like, do you have to get some sort of bathroom pass? Right. Yes. You have to talk to. Yes. Right? I'm sure so they have, have to, like, to have to make eye contact with somebody. They have right? to have measures in place to keep the bathroom safe. Yes. Probably a <sighs> limit of people in there at a time. So I don't. It just sounds so grim. I, I am 100 percent with you. In fact, I just had a conversation with a chef in Galway in yeah. Ireland mm-hmm. who was who was he was dealing with the restaurant equivalent of this plan. Okay. Right. And the shakedown on what it's going to mean for him to reopen his three restaurants. Right. At, at what at be at uh, 1.5 meters versus two meters that, you know, and all of this. Uh, and it's 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 not it's it feels com- almost uh, impossible. Right. <laughs> yeah, it, it makes me wonder because we're all itching to go out now, but it just makes yeah. me wonder if people will, you know, once the novelty well, wears is, off, if they'll I, continue I, to go I to agree. pubs or if it's just going to fizzle out. Well, and I, for sure, we're all chomping at the bit to get back out there. Yeah. But at the same time, I also see what I feel like a bit of really isolated thinking uh, about the fact that just because you flip that sign from closed to open does not mean that everybody is going to, right, that the door, that the hordes will come rushing back into your establishment. Having the individual person feel safe enough to go and do this kind of thing, it feels like a mega leap, right? And we're not... Yeah. We're not talking enough about what what we're doing to encourage that, you know, to right. Although let people know how safe it is or, you know, these measures are for safety, right? The distancing yeah. and the maximum people per right. table and that kind of thing. Uh, I, th- I don't what know. Really I'll be curious me, to see what they do here when they what, when uh, we what really struck me about it was ultimately right, because I was like, well, what you why would you go out? Why don't you just get yourself? some beer and stay at home and drink like you know what I mean it's it's sort of a similar thing and when I thought about that I was like right because the thing is we don't just go to a pub to drink Mm -hmm. we go to a pub to be out with other people yes right so how what's with the the if we can no longer if we can't at least for the moment be out with other people then what's the point and I also wondered you know why no live music or DJs because it encourages people to have fun and dance 
That's what I'm guessing, right? And encourages uh, conviviality and a good time. Like, I think the most important thing to remember is that they're, the good times are not alive in this scenario. It's technically, yes, we are out at restaurants and we're doing this, but I don't know if anybody's having a good time. But I feel like that could, to me, that could be the one difference. You know, if I'm at right. a pub and I can't stand and I can only have a minimum number of people with me, and everything's very, you know, right. regulated. Ordered, if yeah. I'm watching a live band, I'll probably be way more into it. Right. Maybe while you're just swaying in your chair. Yeah. Maybe you that's know? a thing, huh? Yeah. I'm sure there's, you know, there's method to their madness. And, you know, we'll see how it all trickles down. The reopening isn't slated till August. Uh, and, and I am we'll so, see. I don't really know what the answer is here, right? Because yeah. it is, I, I'm not excited about going out. Maybe just for the triumph of saying that we can. Yeah. Uh, but I this just doesn't excite me. And my only hope is that this isn't our future reality. I don't I don't think it will be. But there's you know always that little part this of this is how we thinks, do this now. Uh-oh, oh, what if this is yeah. how it is? Feels really grim. Marella, I found this piece that really is a bit of trivia, really. But it, it, I thought it was really, really interesting. And it focuses on those uh, those paper boxes for Chinese food that we see in movies and television, right? Uh, almost exclusively from the U.S. somewhere, right? It's that white box with a taper at the bottom, little metal wire handle, and folded hook-in with paper With a little top. red print on with the side. With whatever red print, exactly, yeah. right? Uh, and everybody, you see them holding the thing with their chopsticks, eating, you know, with a lot of delight. Mm-hmm. I remember going on school trips to New York and being like, one dinner is going to be ordering Chinese food in the hotel just so we can sit like this with the containers and do right, this thing. Cause right, because here's what surprised me. I, have you had? Have you seen them in Toronto? No, not once. Because in Never. my consciousness, they're everywhere. But then when right. I really stopped and thought about it, I've definitely eaten from them in B.C., Okay. And in San Francisco. Okay, makes sense. But then I could not, every other image I had in my mind was from a movie. Yeah. Of the, yeah. but, but, and yet I really associate those containers. This is the thing, ubiquitousness the, of it is uh, so. And, uh, it, is and it just looks fun to eat out of those containers. Totally. It's and just, it's satisfying, uh, yeah. right? It is. Uh, uh, what I found this bit though, that really uh, told, they told me about two bits of intention and a bit of uh, technology, let's say that are built into those containers that I'd never even considered, mm-hmm. right? I just thought it was cute paper box and it fit with the aesthetic of whatever stereotypical notion of Chinese culture I had had as sort of teenage, you know, me, not yeah. that informed about the world. Mm-hmm. I, I bought it, right? Yes. Um, but beyond that wax coating on the cardboard, I never considered anything else. Uh, and so I, to, to hear that one, it was in, it's intentionally made of one piece of cardstock that is folded up so that it's leak proof like so there's no seam right and i was like that makes a lot of sense and then the second piece is that the intention was for this thing to spring out and transform into a plate for you to actually eat your takeout dinner on Mm -hmm. right and that blew my mind i was like what are you talking about i never even Mm -hmm. considered it right but then once i once i thought about it i remembered that that wire handle Mm -hmm. always felt really easy to remove Right. right, I always sort of marveled at how it looked like I could take this thing apart really simply, mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't it wasn't about shoddy construction. It was about <laughs> intention to, to maybe splay that thing out. Now, in reality, I'm not entirely sure how that works because I I feel like those containers are packed full, mm-hmm. and I don't think that the plate will just sort of collapse happily around it. And you know, I think it yeah. might be a bit of a mess. But the thought 
uh, you know, somebody thought that up. Somebody was like, no, wait, let's do this. And so that look how easy it is. People can fold it out and do that. And so at one point, I'm going to hope somebody did it like that, which is sort of sweet. Yeah, I know. I got uh, I got a little skeptical when I read about the flattening of the plate because, you know, we come across this on the Internet all the time. Right. People saying, oh, did you know this thing that you use every day actually has this other purpose? And you think, oh, yeah. The last one I remember is the the chopsticks that have the little flat piece at the end that t- and yes. someone said oh you're supposed to break that off and you can use it as a stand as a for as a re- and they don't do that uh no. i got excited i went i went i happened to have a stash of those because yeah. with, with takeout with they always send it and i have my own chopsticks so i save yep. those for when i'm eating a lunch out or something and i want to eat them with chopsticks um so i i did a little digging and uh, oh, yeah, def- definitely this was an American invention, which to me, I don't know, it surprised me. Like you said, mm-hmm. it's just like this association we have with the, the Chinese food. And um, when I've eaten in China, it's always been in restaurants. So I haven't yes. had the opportunity to see if they're yep. in use there at all. But you're right. So it was invented in Chicago, but it was originally invented to carry oysters, Oh, I don't know about this oyster yeah. pail. Okay. So it was invented to replace the oyster pail uh, in the late 1800s. The date is also super fascinating to me because the okay. patent was 1894, which uh-huh. is one year. I don't know if I'm sure you've heard of this huge Chicago fair that happened in uh, 1893. It was like a, the first time brownies were ever oh, yeah, introduced. Yeah, giant cream of wheat. Yeah, yeah. Everything. Yes, yes, yes. Zippers totally. for the first totally. time. <laughs> That's right. Ferris wheels. <laughs> right. So it just seems like Chicago must have been just buzzing at that I time. See. Oh, yeah. Like, okay. Um, but it was originally to carry shucked oysters. So at that time, obviously, people were oh, didn't shucked. want to shuck their own and oysters. And so oh they God, would go so to the whatever the person who sold them the oysters, they would yes. all get shucked and the meat would go into this pail, which is why the leak proof is so important. Uh-huh, okay. And then it was brought home for, you know, to throw into your to cooking. Cooked. Yeah. So at that time, I really don't think they were flattening it out. No, I don't think so either. Because what is what a what a disaster. Right. Of all these naked oysters out there like that. That's uh, yeah. So this being said, it does appear that. Um, obviously oysters got really expensive because we overfished and then right. there was the crossover in uh, the the burgeoning Chinese takeout industry they found this container that's cheap it's handy right uh, let's print a cute you know red uh, evocative whatever, yeah, yes. on it yeah. and and use it for this purpose and it does seem that from early on they did figure this out that you could flatten it out okay. as a plate so that's certainly a thing that's been around but it wasn't in the original design it wasn't okay okay um but i don't know all this talk of this container has made me think why don't we have them here more you know why are we using styrofoam and plastic when we could be using this i mean paper is better and cuter yeah Yeah, i agree uh and easier packing and stacking All right, Morella, something obviously, you know, I am super interested in what everyone is cooking in isolation, right? There's a spike in hours clocked in the kitchen and I could not be happier about it. Um, And so uh, I've been curious about what is what are the tops, right? Enough time has passed now that we can figure out what 
the most Googled recipes are, what it is that people are into. Uh, mm-hmm. So I found the list of most Googled recipes during quarantine. Um, and they it's not a surprise, but it also is sort of hilarious, right? Yes. Uh, so banana bread is at the top, then pancakes, chicken. It just says chicken. I'm assuming any way that you <laughs> yeah. cook chicken is what people like. What do I chicken. do with this? Exactly. Uh, Pizza dough, brownies, crepes, meatloaf, French toast, lasagna, cheesecake. Uh, And so like the the most of the first response easily is, aha, this is where all the flour is going. Yes. (laughs) It's very clear. uh, Very, very clear that this is where the, this is what's happening. This is all those empty shelves are going into banana bread. Uh, And the cook inside of me really sees that these recipes tell a story of the search for comfort. For sh- yeah, I noticed the that comfort food angle as right? well. Uh, the starch, uh, cheesy things, sweet things. Um, it's all there. Now, there is an interesting scenario, particularly in the U.S., around uh, because there, uh, I found another breakdown per U.S. state of the mm-hmm. top Googled yep. recipe. And that, was re- that zoom in was fascinating because it really told us that in the U.S., uh, the story around this pandemic is about burgers and bread. Yes. Right? It's cinnamon mm-hmm. rolls, uh, pancakes, banana, da, 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 but burgers, recipes for burgers were really, right? And there's a sort of, there's an interesting irony there to me because, I mean, the wheat, obviously, right? The bread and the wheat and the yeah. supplies and the fact that they're like of the flour mills and everybody is sort of in a tizzy meeting, you know, the need of all this flour consumption. But the beef piece is really fascinating that simultaneously as people are searching the internet with such fervor for burger recipes, mm-hmm. we have um, uh, industrial meat processing plants in the U.S. and in Canada have now become COVID hotspots, right? And that is simply by virtue of the working conditions. This is mm. not about transmission. Yeah. It's not about transmission from the animals or anything like yeah. that. It is just because these folks are being forced in and because the demand is so high that nobody, you know what I mean? They're crammed in. They don't have the PPE that they need and they're getting each other sick. And then in fact, and then getting yeah. their family sick as they yeah. take it home. Right. But just to stop for a moment and consider these two things that are happening at the same time. The other thing uh, that really wild. struck yeah. me with this hamburger piece. Yeah is that the search, if memory serves, was mostly around how to make the patty, like how to make the hamburger meat. And it really struck me because in my experience, this is not something people do. Like a very, very typical experience for me when I go to a barbecue where it's bring your own meat is everyone brings a frozen patty, whether it be beef or veggie. And then I show up with ground beef. Yes. And just stick that on the yes, and yes. and people are you know just marveling at what I'm doing and intrigued, and so it's really interesting to me very much like with the bread people have gone all the way back to let's make sourdough, sourdough let's do the most yeah, complicated thing possible them, yes totally. the thi- the fact that these people are craving hamburgers and aren't going to what I would assume would be the first instinct which is let's just get a frozen patty yep uh, but they are actually getting deep into how, you know how can i make a really how what's in that thing patty. yeah yeah uh i thought that was cool on the less cool side of the spectrum is how few of these top hits were meals yes like on the global like top yeah. 10 well four of the 10 okay. were meals the meatloaf lasagna chicken and ah, pizza fair, okay. i would yep. count 
But with the, the U.S. list, so the top Googled thing per state, only half were meals and half of that half was, was hamburgers. So yeah. like a quarter of the search was hamburger yeah. meat. And even worse, n- not a veggie to be found. In sight. In not, the, not in the world list, of, you yeah. could one could argue that maybe the lasagna pizza might have some vegetables involved. Maybe. But it's loose. We're talking scallion yeah. garnish at best, right? But yeah. sh- shocker, I don't know if you noticed, this jumped out at me. Florida, number one, zucchini. Yes. I was like, I was very what's going surprised. on in Florida? What, I had this the same is amazing. Yeah. They were very... This, and of all things, zucchini? I know. I don't know. All, it's the truth. I, I had the same question. I was quite tickled. And, you know, I'll, I'll give Louisiana just a little shout out because there is a, their top Google is crawfish étouffée, which does involve tomatoes. Yes. Right? Okay. And there's green peppers in the in the uh, right, right? In the, the holy trinity in the pan there. Yeah. So so that includes a vegetable. But literally everything else didn't even incl- include a vegetable. Yeah, nothing. Right. It's Even the, the burger search forward. wasn't what can I put in my burger? It was yeah. how do I make how do I deal with the meat? meat? Yeah. And then, you know, there was a little more hope with the, the fruits. Yeah, uh, so New York had the Herosa salad was their top That's right. search, That's which right. I think timing wise had more to do with the fact that Passover happened over this time than the it has Her- to yes, do with the course. actual I pandemic. Right. Yep. Um, I think you're right. That's my guess. Uh, Arizona, the top search was lemonade which I'm going to count as a fruit. Oh my God, that's and, so funny. And then Virginia was banana pudding. Banana pudding, uh, it's just... Yeah. So, but, so, okay, on the no banana... But no fruits and veg. None, nowhere, which is really, to me, it says a lot, right? Because if people are chasing, uh, sadly, people yeah. are not chasing comfort in fruits and vegetables. No. Clearly, right? Clearly. So, speaking of uh, cheese... The other thing that shocked me, no mac and cheese on the list. I, I was. I was curious. Were you expecting mac and I, cheese? I'm, I'm totally... I was very surprised. I'm not sure what it is that that has eclipsed mac and cheese, but I really... What's the I burger? Was, it's, cl- it's the burger. It's clearly the burger. Um, but I was also curious about why banana bread at the top. Mm-hmm. What's going on about banana bread? Is this, is this really just because we're clearing out our stores and everybody's got some old, some black bananas in their freezer somewhere that they're going to use up? What is the banana... like? I'm not sure what the instinct toward banana bread is all about. I still, I really don't know to the answer. To me, think? I think your first instinct was right. I think it's comfort food. Yeah. Um, and the loaf, the idea of that warm, nice yeah. loaf, that's really pretty easy to make. Uh, yeah. yeah. Also, so great. I, I, I can't end this segment without giving a little shout out to Washington, D.C., whose number one Google was margarita yes! recipes. I caught that too. <laughs> I loved it. I caught that too. I was like, yeah, no joke. No joke, Washington. Drink those margaritas. If you're enjoying our podcast, please support us at patreon.com slash hotplatepod. Hotplate is part of the Frequency Podcast Network. Please consider leaving us a rating or review. It helps others find us. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at hotplatepod. Follow me at Beerology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And follow Joshna at Joshna Maharaj on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Original music by Dave Bell. Hot Plate is produced by Mirella Amato, that's me, and Dennis Coyne. Thanks for listening.